Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. This is Fundamentally Mormon, and I am your host, Mark Lickenwalter. <clears throat> Today we're going to be reading Chapter 2 of the Book on Reincarnation, pages 12 to 18. The definition, or the chapter, uh, is entitled Definitions. We'll listen to the reader portion of the program first, which is about 12 minutes long, and then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. All right, let me just turn this up here. Thank you for listening. Definitions, chapter two pages of reincarnation, pages 12 to 18. 50 years ago the public at large regarded such beliefs less than as reincarnation greater than as fringe lunacy or oriental occult superstition. The word reincarnation is a relatively new term for an ancient religious theory. To understand its meaning, it is necessary to refer to more recent texts, because it is not found in earlier dictionaries. However, the word incarnate appears, meaning, to clothe with flesh, to embody in flesh. The word incarnation means the act of clothing with flesh, the act of assuming flesh, or of taking a human body. American Dictionary of the English Language, Noah Webster, 1828, 1st ed. Apparently the word reincarnation first emerged in a book called Renewal of Youth by Myers in 1882, p. 213. The meaning, of course, later appeared in dictionaries, such as the Oxford English Dictionary of 1933-8-387, saying it was a fresh embodiment of a person. Renewed Incarnation Incarnate again In the old same footsteps of himself when dead. Another dictionary states that it means to be reborn in another body, to incarnate again. Some definitions referred to reincarnation as applying to more than just human bodies, but incorporated the old Hindu and Buddhist theory that a man's spirit can be reborn into animals, birds and even insects. Reincarnation, the belief that the soul after death returns to human life after a period of existence elsewhere, perhaps in animal or plant form or in some separate place, is found in many parts of the world. Reincarnation the doctrine of the passing of the soul at death into another body or bodies, either animal or human. It is also called metempsychosis and transmigration of the soul. But more commonly the meaning of reincarnation is restricted to returning in the same species, reincarnation, theory that after death an individual is reborn in another body of the same species. This tenet was advocated by Greek philosophers. In India and W Africa, it constitutes an integral part of the doctrine of survival of merit and new merit after death. Reincarnation, the rebirth of the soul in successive bodies, specifically, in Vedic religions, the becoming of an avatar again, one of the series in the transmigration of souls. 
avatar of God's coming to earth in bodily form, reincarnate, to be reborn in another body, to incarnate again. The word reincarnation has probably become the most popularly accepted term for such similar expressions as rebirths, multiple births, regeneration, palingenesis, transmigration, reprobations, multiple probations, metempsychosis, multiple lives, evolutionary, mortality ring of return, eternal lives, turn of the wheel, life cycles, turn of the crank, life rotations, eternal circle, wheel of life, multiple mortal mortalities, etc, etc, etc. All of these can refer to being born again into mortality in another physical body. These definitions are not to be confused with the actual meaning of reprobation, which means rejection or condemnation by God's purpose, or the word reprobate signifying a depraved person, a profligate, hopelessly sinful, vicious, corrupt, condemnation, censure, Webster's unified dick, or doomed to damnation, in the 1828 An American Dictionary of the English Language, by Noah Webster, several interesting definitions were given of the words reprobate and reprobation, which, of course, would be those understood and used by Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, reprobate, adya, not enduring proof or trial, not of standard purity or fineness, abandoned in sin, lost to virtue or grace, abandoned to error or in apostasy, and a person abandoned to sin, one lost to virtue and religion. B. To disapprove with detestation or marks of extreme dislike. To disallow. To reject. To abandon to wickedness and eternal destruction. To abandon to his sentence, without hope of pardon. Eternal destruction. To abandon to his sentence, without hope of pardon. Reprobation. And the act of disallowing with detestation or of expressing extreme dislike the act of abandoning or state of being abandoned to eternal destruction, a condemnatory sentence, rejection. In none of these definitions does reprobation refer to returning to this mortal probation. It is also important to consider the meaning of the word probation in this study, a proceeding designed to test character, qualifications, etc. as a candidate for holy orders. The period throughout which a trial or examination extends. The act of proving testing, as of one's character, ability, etc. Critical examination and evaluation or subjection to such examination and evaluation. Subjection of an individual to a period of testing and trial to ascertain fitness. The spirits of mankind were all in a probationary state while they were in their pre-mortal existence. Mortals are also in a probationary status while in this temporal world and again during the millennium. And it is said that the spirit world will be a prison-type condition where all will be evaluated on their performance and their repentance. Probation or evaluation periods may extend throughout the eternities as man progresses in knowledge and power. Indeed the concept of multiple probations is a valid one when looked at in this perspective. Though the term is relatively new, the concept of reincarnation, or being born many times, is an old one. In India it is as common as religion itself, it is nearly their only religion. Will Durant said, this belief is so universal in India that almost every Hindu accepts it as an axiom or assumption, and hardly bothers to prove it.
the Buddhist also believes in these multiple rebirths, but that there will come a time when he will not be forced into them after reaching Nirvana. Durant describes this state, the Buddhist scriptures use it less than Nirvana greater than as signifying, one, the state of happiness attainable in this life through the complete elimination of selfish desires. Two, the liberation of the individual from rebirth. Three, the annihilation of the individual consciousness. Four, the union of the individual with God. Five, a heaven of happiness after death. In the teaching of Buddha it seemed to mean the extinction of all individual desire, and the reward of such selflessness escape from rebirth. As popular as this belief may be among many, it still remains repulsive to most people. Again he once stated, I do not want to be reborn, simply because this life has little to offer a person if he seeks for peace and happiness. Ironically, the highest aspiration of those believing in reincarnation is the hope that they can ultimately escape from being reincarnated. It is even more repulsive to those who believe they may come back as animals, birds or bugs. Ayash Cooper, a believer in reincarnation, certainly did not believe in the animal concept, as he stated, to think of a human being, endowed with keen sensibilities moral perception, and intellectual power, as being reborn after death in the body of an unmoral and unintelligent animal, is certainly the abyss of illogic and could serve no moral or evolutionary process whatsoever in the universe. Along this line, Apostle John A. Witzel also taught it to be unbelievable. Under this doctrine our next door neighbor may be the reincarnation of a man or a woman who lived centuries ago. Our boot black may be the reincarnation of one of the great philosophers of the past. Our school teacher may have been an untutored savage a thousand years ago. Our present dog, Sanko, may be nothing else than our dog, Fido, long since dead, in a more recent incarnation. And what is worse, the animating essence, the soul, of Sanko, may be the former soul of a Newton, or a Galileo, or a Plato. Or, the wife who cooks our meals for us, may have been in an early reincarnation, the Queen of Sheba. Or, still more to our confusion, a man's wife might have been his husband when he was a woman in an early reincarnation. Trying to discover the original concept and definition of the word meaning, to be reborn, is a fruitless task. There is no original manuscript from whence it comes. There are many different origins and versions among the ancient pagans, and even more among modern western converts. The divisions and variations of belief among reincarnationists are as diversified as the thousand different religions that incorporate such a belief. Even though there are hundreds of books written on this subject, not one exists upon which all believers can agree. There is still a continuous flow of new versions and revisions of old versions. A marriage of the ancient with the modern is giving rebirth to hybrid ideologies. Such information often comes by thumbnail revelation, but it is not what the prophets have taught. Because of all this confusion, only the basic definition of being born again as mortals into mortality will be the consideration of this book. 19. Okay, now I'll get into my reading and commentary portion of this. Definitions, Chapter 2 of Reincarnation, pages 12 to 18. Fifty years ago, the public at large regarded such beliefs as reincarnation as fringe lunacy or oriental occult superstition and quote reincarnation, a Christian appraisal by M. Albright, 1978, page 11. 
The word reincarnation is relatively a relatively new term for an ancient religious theory. To understand its meaning, it is necessary to refer to more recent texts because it is not found in earlier dictionaries. However, the word incarnate appears meaning to clothe with flesh. Uh, hold on here. Sorry, I had to turn down that music. I forgot to turn it down. Anyway, I hope that hasn't screwed anything up. But The word incarnation means the act of clothing with flesh or the act of assuming flesh or taking a human body. And quote, American Dictionary of English Language, Noah Webster, 1828, first edition. Apparently, the word in reincarnation first emerges in a book called The Renewal of Youth by Myers in 1882, page 213. The meaning, of course, later appeared in dictionaries such as the Oxford Dictionary of 1933, volume 8, page 387, saying it was a fresh embodiment of a person renewed incarnation incarnate again in the same old in the old same footstep of himself long dead another dictionary states that it means to be reborn into another body to incarnate again and that's the Groyer's International Dictionary of 1968 volume 2 page 1097 or on page 13 if you're reading along some definitions refer to reincarnation as applying to more than just human bodies, but incorporated the old Hindu, Hindu and Buddhist theory that a man's spirit can be reborn into animals, birds, and even insects. Reincarnation, the belief that the soul after death returns to human life after a period of existence elsewhere, perhaps in animal or plant form in some separate place, is found in many parts of the world, and that's from the Encyclopedia Britannica, 1985 edition, volume 19, page 80. Reincarnation, the doctrine of passing of soul at death into another body or bodies, either animal or human. It is also called metaphysical, metapsychosis, I guess, and transmigration of souls and that comes from the Encyclopedia Americana, volume 23, page 348, and that's the 1990 edition. But more commonly, the meaning of reincarnation is restricted to returning to the same species. Reincarnation, the theory that after death, an in individual is reborn into another body of the same species. This tenet was advocated by the Greek philosopher philosophers in India and West Africa, and it constitutes the integral part of the doctrine of survival of merit and demerit after death, and quote, the New Modern Encyclopedia by A.H. McDonald, New York, 1944, volume 1, page 858, reincarnation, the birth of the soul in successive bodies, specifically in Vedic, Vedic, religions to become the becoming of an avatar again one of the series of the transmigrated souls and that comes from new international dictionary 1984 volume 1 page 
639, and what an avatar is, is a God's coming to earth in bodily form. Reincarnate means to be born into another body to incarnate again. American Heritage Dictionary of 1969, page 1097. Reincarnation. Rebirth in in new bodies or forms of life, a rebirth of a soul in the new human body. That's Webster's New Encyclopedia Dictionary, 1993, page 857. And that is my son, and I will be right back. We're on page 14. The word reincarnation has probably become the most popularly accepted term for such similar expressions as rebirths multiple births, regeneration, transmigration, reprobations, or reprobations, I guess, multiple probations, metapsychosis, multiple lives, evolutionary mortality ring or return, eternal lives, the turn of will, life cycles, turn of the crank, life rotations, eternal circle, life will, multiple more mortal mortalities, etc., etc., or multiple mortal probations. (laughs) I added that. All of these can refer to being born again into mortality in another physical body. These definitions are not to be confused with the actual meaning of reprobation, reprobation, uh, reprobation, which means rejection or condemnation by God's purpose which is the definition of that word according to the New International Dictionary, Volume 2, page page 1069, or the word reprobate, signifying a depraved person or a hopelessly sinful, vicious, corrupt condemnation censure, uh, which is according to Webster's Unified Dictionary, or doomed or to Doomed to Damnation, which is Webster's New International Dictionary of 1993, page 865. In the 1928 American Dictionary of the English Language by Noah Webster, several interesting definitions were given for the words reprobate or reprobation, reprobation, which of course would be those understood by and used by the Prophet Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. <clears throat> reprobate not enduring proof or trial, not of standard purity or finesse, abandoned in sin, lost to virtue or grace, abandoned to error or in apostasy. Page 15. Um, A person abandoned to sin or one lost to virtue and religion. Or to disprove with detestation or marks of extreme dislike to disfellow, to reject, to abandon, to wickedness and eternal destruction, to abandon to his sentence without hope of pardon, reprobation, the act of disallowing with a detestation or expressing extreme dislike, the act of abandoning or a state of being abandoned, to eternal destruction, to condemn to, uh, to a condemnatory sentence, rejection. And that comes from uh, New Webster's Dictionary, Volume 2, page 56 and 57. None of these define 
definitions does reprobation refer to as returning to this mortal probation. It is also important to consider the meaning of the word probation in this study. A proceeding, de- a proceeding designed to test character, qualifications, etc. as a candidate for holy orders, the period throughout which a trial or examination extends, the act of proving, New International Dictionary, Volume 2, page 1004, a testing of one's character, ability, etc., Webster, Webster's New, New Encyclopedia Dictionary, I guess, 1979, page 476, sorry. There is like abbreviations of words, and I'm not exactly sure what they are all the time. I guess they did that to save paper, I guess, in the book. I'm not exactly sure. Critical examination and evaluation or subjection to an examination and evaluation Subjection to an individu- of an individual to a period of testing and trial to ascertain fitness. And quote Webster's New in- Encyclopedia Dictionary, I guess, 1993, page one or 803. The spirit spirits of mankind were all in a probationary state while they were in their premortal existence. Yes, I'm so glad he said that because people are like, no, probation just means a mortal probation, not any other kind of probation, and that's not the case. When Joseph Smith talked about the Holy Ghost in a state of probation, waiting waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same or similar things as Jesus had done, that was a state of spiritual probation. Everybody, think, A lot of people think that Joseph Smith is God the witness or the Holy Ghost. He is not. He is not the Davidic servant. He is Shiloh, two separate individuals, but people get really confused about this because they think that probation, when Joseph Smith said that the Holy Ghost or God the Witness was in a state of probation, that that meant that he was already on the earth and that that meant that he was Joseph Smith. And that's just simply not true. It actually contradicts DNC section 130, where the Holy Ghost does not have a body. Joseph Smith did have a body. Joseph Smith is the one that received it, that revelation from uh, from Jesus Christ. Also, in the lecture at the Grove, which they all want to talk about because it talks about multiple mortal probations and these uh, doctrine of eternal lives, um, Joseph Smith says that God the Witness or the Holy Ghost is in a a state, he's a spirit, basically. Anyway, it, it also contradicts some of Joseph Smith's other statements about the Holy Ghost um, coming into a state of mortal probation. So, anyway, but that's just interesting. The spirits, the spirits of mankind were all in a probationary state while they were in their their pre-mortal existence. Uh, just to say, it's the first estate versus the second estate. In the pre-existence, we were in the first estate, or first more, uh, first probation. Now we are in our second estate, or mortal probation. Anyway, continuing on with this, we're at 58% for those of you who are reading along. Mortals are also in a probationary status while, this, while in this temporal world, and again during the millennium. 
And it is said that the spirit world will be a prison-type condition where it will be evaluated on their performances, or they will be evaluated on their performances and their repentance. And we're on page 16. Probation or evaluation periods may extend throughout the eternities as man progresses in knowledge and power. And that's alluding to multiple mortal probations, which we are going to talk about more in this podcast in the future. Indeed, the concept of multiple probations is a valid one when one looks at when when uh, is a valid one when looked at in this perspective. Uh, there's a reason why there is a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, I'll say it, I've said it before, I'll say it again. And by the way, I have been commanded to be bold in what God has taught me to be a witness to the people. So I'm bold because it is, I was foreordained to teach these things. Same as Joseph Smith. But me, I've been foreordained more so, kind of like Nephi uh, got to see some about uh, what John saw, but it was John. John was foreordained to write it down. Well, I've been foreordained to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and of the gospel and all these things. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm sorry for all of those people out there that want to say, oh, you shouldn't talk about these things. They're too sacred. Well, God told me to be bold, so I am. All right. Through the term, Though the term is relatively new, the concept of reincarnation or being born many times is an is an old one that's because it comes from true, true doc it's a perversion of true doctrine okay so i got to get back to what i was saying before i i kind of spaced it in order for us to progress once we have been damned we have to put off our resurrection and go on to a new earth that's why there is a new earth that is created in this earth that we live on now becomes a sphere or a fire of seeing glass Eventually, the only people that inhabit this earth are celestial beings. And in order to progress, you have to put off the resurrection unless you've been exalted. Though all those who have been exalted are not damned. They go on to further progress and progression and the progression of the gods and all the fun things. But those of us who do not make it to a state of exaltation we are damned in that state of resurrection even if we make it just below exaltation. We cannot progress to exaltation in a damned, resurrected body. But we can put off our resurrection, which is a choice that we get to make unless we're destroyed or something, but we get to go on to that new earth that John saw and go through another mortal probation. And in this way, through many, many probations in the spirit world and in the physical world, we gain more light and understanding so that we can attain unto a higher level of resurrection. That's how we progress. That's how we don't have to be damned in a state of resurrection, that we can put it off and go, that's the secret. You cannot progress in a resurrected body, but God revealed to me that we can put off the resurrection and go into a new mortal probation. And Joseph Smith alluded to those things in the King Follett Discourse and more so in the King, uh, the Sermon at the Grove, 
which was his last discourse, which he did not complete because it started raining. And that discourse, the lecture at the Grove, was, uh, I think it was in June of 1844, shortly before his death. So, unfortunately for us, well, I think it's fortunate because the only way you really understand what he was talking about, for one, is you've got to go to God to get revelation for yourself. Or hear a prophet who has been revealed these things, which no prophet in our modern times, no president of the church knows anything about. The people who know about it are those who have been revealed by revelation that these things are true, and I am one of them. And I think I've been revealed these things more so than anybody else on the earth because I was foreordained to teach these mysteries. Joseph Smith began to reveal it. It's kind of like Joseph Smith laid the foundation so that I could come and teach these things later on in this this eternal rant. Anyway, continuing on. In India, it is as common as religion itself. It is nearly their only religion. Will Durant said, quote, This belief is so universal in India that almost every Hindu accepts it as an axiom or assumption and hardly bothers to prove it. And quote, our, or, <clears throat> our Oriental Heritage, page 435. The Buddhist also believes in these multiple rebirths, but that there will be a, there will come a time when he will not be forced into them after reaching the state of nirvana. Durant describes this state, quote, the Buddhist scripture uses it as signifying, and he's talking about nirvana, a state of happiness attainable in this life through the complete elimination of selfish desires. Number two, the liberation of the individual from being reborn. Number three, the annihilation of the individual consciousness. And number four, the union of the individual with God. Number five, a heaven of happiness after death. In the teachings of the Buddha, it seemed to mean the extinction of the all-individual desire and the reward of such selflessness, selflessness escapes from, from our, the, the reward is an escape from being reborn, basically. And that comes from our Oriental Heritage, page 435. As popular as this belief may be among many, it still remains repulsive to most people. As Gandhi once stated, I do not want to be reborn simply because this life has little to offer a person if he seeks for peace and happiness. Ironically, the highest aspiration of those believing in reincarnation is the hope that they can ultimately escape from being reincarnated. And we're on page 17 for those of you who are reading along at 76% of the reading for today. It is even more repulsive to those who believe they may come back as animals, birds, or bugs. I.S. Cooper, a believer in reincarnation, certainly did not believe in, it, in the animal concept as he stated, quote, to think of a human being endowed with keen sensibilities, moral perceptions and intellectual power as being reborn after death in the body of an immoral, unintelligent animal is certainly the abyss of illogic and could serve no moral or evolutionary process whatsoever in the universe. 
and quote, Reincarnation, A Hope for the World by I.S. Cooper, page 21. Along this line, Apostle John A. Witso, who was an apostle in the early Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also thought it to be unbelievable. Under this definition, our next-door neighbor may be reincarnated, may be the reincarnation of a man or a woman who lived centuries ago. Our boot black may be the reincarnation of one of the great philosophers of the past. I think he's talking about like people who polish your boots. Our school teacher may have been an untutored savage a thousand years ago. Our present dog, Senko, may be nothing else than our dog, Fido, long since dead in a more recent incarnation and what is far worse is the alien or the animating essence the soul or the Senko may be of the former soul of Newton or Galileo or Plato or the wife who cooks our meals for us may have been an early incarnation of the Queen of Sheba or still more to our confusion a man's wife might have been his husband when he was a a woman in an earlier incarnation. And that was a book put together by Homer Durant, um, Evidence and Reconciliations uh, by Witzow, I guess, 1960. Witzow didn't live in the 60s, though. So anyway, this is Homer Durant, page 365. Trying to discover the original concept and definitions of the word meaning to be reborn is a fruitless task. There is no original manuscript from whence it comes. There are many different origins and versions among the recent pagans, are the ancient pagans, and even more among modern Western converts. The divisions and variations of belief among the reincarnationalists are as divisive or diverse, diversified as the thousand different religions that encompass incorporate such a belief and we're on page 18 at 94 percent also by the way um i have recorded a couple of um chapters well like well I'm, it's a it's a bit um it there's a book somebody revealed to me and sent me a copy of that's un unpublished and is anonymous. It's a compilation of the doctrine, the teachings of the doctrines of eternal lives as taught by the leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, it's a three, well, it's a 200-page book, but there's so many references at the end, I might go through them, I'm not sure, that it basically doubles the book in size, almost 400 pages. Uh, maybe it wasn't quite 400 pages, but it's a lot. So I've recorded that as well so that that can also go on with this podcast. And um, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into all of this stuff because there is a true doctrine behind the perversion of reincarnation that people need to understand. People don't need it for their salvation as far as being saved, but they will need it for their exaltation because you cannot be saved in ignorance. So I'm going to bring these forth through my radio program or podcast. 
whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about these things. So, and like I said before, I will be posting these things on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. And also in my different Facebook groups, you can find them. Uh, LDS Gospel Mysteries, um, LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions. There's a bunch of groups that I'm the head admin of. So I'll post them in all of my groups and on my pages. Uh, Some of my pages are uh, Zion's Redemption Radio Network, Zion's Redemption Bookstore, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, uh, Messiah Ben Joseph, Church of the Living Messiah. There's two of those groups. They're both mine. Um, Anyway, so, you know, there's a bunch of different places these things are going to be posted. If you are interested and you're only listening on iTunes, there is a wealth of, of knowledge. Also, check the description of the podcast, or if you're on Blog Talk Radio, you can look for the, the, the description of that Uh, of the program and you'll find a link to read this book and also read just the section of the book. I try to put those out for people to go and to read along or to read for themselves the things that I am talking about. Also, there will be a link to um, a whole bunch more information about restoration theology that delves into the deeper portions and mysteries of God. So I hope people take advantage of that. Continuing on, even though there are hundreds of books written on this subject, not one exists upon which all believers can agree. That's because they're all perverted. Of course, true doctrine is perverted in the minds of the non-believer. So, anyway, there is still a continuous flow of new versions and revisions of old versions. A marriage of the ancient with the modern is giving rebirth to a hybrid of ideologies such as information often comes by thumbnail revelation, but it is not what the prophets have taught. Because of all this confusion, only the basic definition of being born again as mortals into mortality will be the consideration of this book. So that is page 18. When we come back on The next time we do a podcast, we'll be starting on page 19 and we'll get more into this concept and maybe be able to understand where the doctrine is taught, what is taught, and where it comes from. So thank you for listening to this. I'm going to uh, put on the next portion, which is the the teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives. And we'll listen to that. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless. Okay, I'm live now just for a minute. Um, I wasn't going to do a live. Uh, I was just going to do podcasts. But I had uh, created the reading portion of the program separate from the first chapter of teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives and also the second part which i don't know if we'll get into tonight but chapter two of teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives i read 
all three of these today, this book that we just covered, chapter one of the Eternal Lives book and chapter two of the Eternal Lives book. I'm going to add a link to the description of the podcast once I get, I'm just uploading the last uh, video on YouTube right now while I'm doing this. Actually, it's uh, 95% processed, so it's almost done. And then I'm going to make a playlist for the um, the videos that I have done today on these two chapters. And I'll put that in a link to the description so you can watch the videos if you want. If you're coming on this and listening on the iTunes, uh, you can look in the description of the podcast to find those links. Um, probably when you're listening later on because I haven't added them yet, but I'm going to add them. So this is chapter one of Eternal Lives, uh, complete with the preface, and we will listen to that. It's 31 minutes long, which will put us pretty close. Well, actually, we still have an hour and 19 minutes left, according to the studio, Also, if anybody does want to call in, uh, the lines are open, but I will pull you into the screening room, and you can ask your questions and your comments off air. Um, I don't know if we'll be doing a live tonight. Chapter two of Eternal Lives is an hour and 17 minutes long, so I'm not sure if we'll get to that tonight. That might be something that we do on Monday when we read Chapter 3 of Reincarnation. And basically, I'm just laying the foundation for talking about eternal lives. And these recordings that that I have been producing from this unpublished, uh, anonymous book, um, I might just make them their own podcasts later on. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do with this. I just found out about this book last night, and then um, I looked at it a little bit, and then today I really looked at it and realized, wow, there's a lot of really good information to go along with what we're talking about here. So I thought, you know what, this is this is some really good stuff, and and um, the individual who posted or who published this book, um, it's not anywhere except for online, as far as I know. But they posted it um, anonymously because they didn't want to have problems with with church leaders or ignorant members of the church who think they're going to do God a service by like condemning him or something. I don't know. Anyway, I completely understand that. Um, One of the nice things about myself is I don't have to worry about who I offend. I don't care about any of that. I am not controlled by the church or the corporation or anyone else. I don't care about any of that. I care about doctrine and truth, and I'm going to put it out there. And you know what? I had a bishop a long time ago. Um, I was talking to him, and I was the gospel doctrine teacher. And 
And he got very upset at me because I said, you know, there's no J's in the Hebrew alphabet. There's no J sounds. Like there was no Jesus. That's a Greek transliteration of the name of Yeshua. And he started getting really upset about that, you know, and I said, look, in the book, Jesus the Christ on page 35 or something like that, I said, this was written by the apostle of the LDS church, whose name was James Talmadge. And like, this is like a book that we take on our missions to read. And this complete book was written in the office, just down the hall from the celestial room in the Salt Lake temple. And he says, I don't care. We have modern prophets today. And they say his name is Jesus Christ. And, and his name was never Yeshua. It's just ignorance. And he like flipped out on me over that. You know, and I had another leader. Um, they were talking about Passover and how Passover was on Friday. And I said, I, I, I didn't call him out or anything in front of people. But like I talked to him in his office and I said, did you know that the Hebrew calendar doesn't match up with the Gregorian calendar? And like they go on a lunar cycle instead of a solar cycle and that um, every year, like we celebrate Passover on a Friday, but this year the Jewish Passover, according to biblical times is on Monday. Oh my gosh. He was freaking out. How dare I suggest a thing? I'm an apostate and all these things. And I'm like, Look, I'll show you on Google. And I pulled it up on the dang computer internet and on the interwebs. And um, I showed it to him. And he, he was like, don't you dare say that to anybody in, or in this church. And I'm like freaking out. And I was just like, wow. Wow. Led by ignorance. Like, like I don't know. I before I get into this recording, I guess I'm just going to talk about this for a minute. So Jesus was not crucified on a Friday. He was in the tomb for three days and three nights, not two nights in a day. The only sign he said that would be given was three nights and uh, three days and three nights in the tomb or the sign of Jonah. Well, a lot of people confuse the weekly Sabbath with the Sabbath that, that they were, you know, that Jesus was being crucified on, which was a high Sabbath. The beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts with Passover, which in the year 28 AD, 28 AD, when Jesus was 33 years old because he was born in 5 AD, before the death of King Herod, who died in 3 BC, I think. Um, anyway, in the year 28 AD, Passover or Pesach, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was on, it started on a Wednesday night. So the Jews, they have <clears throat> their day start at night at the sunset. That's the end of the day. And the new, a new day begins with the sunset. And so they had Jesus on the cross that afternoon. And something else that's interesting, the rabbis used to have a pre, um, 
rehearsal dinner on the day, the night before Passover. That's the Last Supper. There was no lamb there because it was a rehearsal dinner. The Last Supper was a rehearsal dinner, and that's culturally appropriate for the time of Jesus Christ. That's what they did. And he was in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, which was a Tuesday night, and then he was captured that night by the Sanhedrin and the <clears throat> and the soldiers of the of the temple court. And uh, he spent the next day talking to Pilate and to all the different people wherever he was, and he was crucified that day, which was a Wednesday. The legs of the two um, murderer thieves or whatever they were, I will call them thieves, um, so that they would hurry up and die before the beginning of the Pesach meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a high Sabbath. There's like seven high Sabbaths in the year. They don't, they're, they, they're not the weekly Sabbath. They're high Sabbaths. And they had to get him off the cross. And Jesus was already dead. They stuck his spear into his side, and then they got him down, and they put him in the tomb of, of Joseph of Arimathea, who was his great uncle. And they didn't have time to anoint his body or anything. All they could do was wrap him up and throw him in there and close the the vault, basically. And he was in the tomb Wednesday night to Thursday night, which was a night, a day, and a night. And then he was in there, uh, you know, the next day, which was Thursday night to Friday night, which was another night and day, that's two days and two nights, or two nights and two days. And then he was in there on Saturday uh, morning, Friday night, Saturday morning. And at the end of the weekly Sabbath, which was the weekly Sabbath lasted from Friday at, um, at sunset to Saturday at sunset, that was the end of the three days and three nights. Now, they had just enough time to get him into the tomb on Wednesday night, and the high Sabbath, uh, the beginning of the high Sabbath, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Pesach or Passover, like that, that was a Sabbath where they were to do no work, so they couldn't anoint him or do anything like that until Thursday night, and there was no markets open. The markets were open on Friday, sunset, because that was the weekly Sabbath. So that's when Mary or Miriam went and grabbed all of the anointing oils that she had to grab in order to go and anoint Jesus properly as his or her husband. She was his wife. And... She got all of that done in the market, and then there wasn't enough time for her to go and anoint his body. And she had to wait through the Sabbath. And after sunset, on Saturday evening, at the end of the Sabbath, she went while it was still dark 
in the evening that night, and she, not in the morning, in the evening that night, which was technically the first day of the week or the Lord's Day. It starts at Saturday evening, not Sunday morning, like we think in the Gregorian calendar in our Western minds. But she went shortly after the Sabbath ended while it was still dark and the angels told her, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That wasn't Sunday morning. He was resurrected Saturday night. He was in the tomb for three days and three nights. When the Roman pagan Romans hijacked the early church and they killed off all of the Nazarenes and all of the the Gnostics and anybody who, who opposed them, they didn't understand the Jewish traditions and the Jewish Sabbath. And because of ignorance within Catholicism and in the Roman Catholic Church and which extended into the Greek Orthodox Church which extended through the Protestant Reformation, but even into the Restoration, they did not understand these things like they should have. When Jesus, um, when Mary went uh, later on on Sunday morning, which was still the Lord's Day, because the Lord's Day lasts Saturday night to uh, Sunday night, That was during the day, and she was very upset. And she says, uh, she thought he was a gardener. She said, where have they laid him? And he said, Mary. And she looked and she saw him, a resurrected being, a man standing who she saw dead and put into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And she ran to him to embrace him and he says touch me not for I have not yet ascended to my father but go unto them and say to them I ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God two separate individuals and like this is also talked about a little bit in the first chapter of the book of revelations where it says that Jesus to God and and his father. Now, who is this speaking of? In Revelations chapter 1 and in this other place where, where Jesus says, touch me not, I have not yet ascended to my father, but go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend into my father and to your father. Who is that? That's Father Adam. And unto my God and to your God. And who is that? That is Jehovah, our Elohim, who is different, a different person than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, one individual, hath made us kings and priests unto God. That's Father Adam, who is Michael, the prince, and his father. That's Jehovah, our Elohim. And uh, I know I'm going off into tangents and everything, but... Sometimes these things are just important to talk about. In Moses chapter 1, verse 6, Jehovah our Elohim is telling Moses that he is in the similitude of his only begotten 
Son. So for those of you who believe that Jesus and Jehovah are the same person, they are not. Jehovah tells Moses, you are in the similitude of mine only begotten son. Now let's go through a little bit of a loophole for a lot of people. The only begotten son of Jehovah is Michael. Because Michael was a savior on an older, the only begotten son as it pertains to the terrestrial order of things of Michael is Jesus. After Jesus, or after Michael was translated, as a translated being, he fired Jesus. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam. That's why he's called the son of Adam. The son of man and son of Adam is the same thing. It's a weird translation, but in the Hebrew, it's ben Adim. Jesus is the son, the only begotten son of Adam. And let me uh, let me show you uh, just one more thing, and then we'll get into this uh, eternal life, lives chapter one. In Ether chapter three. Or the brother of Jared sees the finger, the spirit finger of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, This is my spirit body. This is basically what I'll look like when I come in the meridian of time. This is what my body's going to look like. But this is my spirit body. Never at any time have I showed myself unto man. That was after the Tower of Babel, which was after the flood. Before the flood, many individuals saw and talked and walked with Jehovah our Elohim. And after, and that includes uh, Adam and Methuselah and Enoch, who walked and talked and spoke to Jehovah our Elohim face to face. After the flood, Jehovah our Elohim, around the same time that Jesus was saying, I don't have a body yet, Jehovah our Elohim had a meal of meat and dairy as a resurrected being with Abraham. Spirits cannot eat physical food. Not physical in the way that Abraham had a meal of meat and dairy with Jehovah, our Elohim. There's so much that has been lost. These things were understood in the restoration, but they have been lost because of the traditions of men which have taken over things which shouldn't have been taken over. The early teachings of the church taught that Jesus is the grandson of Jehovah and that Jehovah is the grandfather of Jesus. But these things began to change after the death of Brigham Young in the 1880s. So Brigham Young died in 1877, August 29, 1877. And there began to have they began to have these traditions that were brought in from Protestant 
individuals who had converted to the restoration who were elders who knew too much to be taught and they thought they could bring in their their perversions and now the majority of the people in the LDS church and the restoration brand believe that Jesus and Jehovah are the same person and they make all kinds of excuses oh well maybe when they finally figure out oh this doesn't this is right they'll make excuses not by revelation they just make these excuses and they'll be like well Jehovah's a title right it's Jehovah there's no J but Jehovah's a title no it's not Jehovah is the name of the individual who is our Elohim he is one of the Elohim the mighty ones the exalted ones there's a first presidency for this earth that he, Yehovah, is over. And in the creation, Michael was was taken by Yehovah, our Elohim, under the direction of God, the Eternal Father, and the Council of the Elohim to take Michael to create this earth. And when Michael and Jehovah got to where this earth would be organized... Jehovah showed Michael how to do the work, but Michael's the one that did the work. He is God the Creator, or God the First, who is the Father. We are His spiritually and physically, through the law of adoption and through being born in the Spirit. The same way that Jesus becomes our Father through the law of adoption, so we become His spiritually, and He becomes our Father spiritually. But when Jesus becomes in Adam, and he will, and we go on that new earth with him, the one that John saw in the book of Revelations, we will literally become the children of Jesus, or Yeshua. The same way Michael paid for our sins on an older earth, and he's the only begotten of Jehovah, and on this earth, he becomes an Adam because he is the creator of this earth. And we are his spiritually through the law of adoption. And we are his physically because he's an Adam. And this is how we will become the children of Jesus as well. And the one who is God the witness on this earth will become the redeemer of that world and will become the only begotten of Jesus. This is the progression of the gods. So anyway, all right, well, I just thought I had to share that for some reason. Let's get into eternal, the the teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives, chapter one. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, I didn't mean for this to be a podcast or a, or a radio show, and it is, but I didn't tell anybody about it. So, uh, but it was the only way I could put this together like this. So anyway, I'm going to mute myself and we'll get into the chapter one. And uh, there's a bunch of chapters I'm going to have to go through them. It's going to take me a month or it's probably going to take me two months, two or three months to get through all this material. But it's, you know, three podcasts a week. I think that's all right. And then, like I said, if you go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash user, forward slash God is my compass or Zion's Redemption Radio Network, you can see the videos that I made and listen to them as well. All right, here we go. Thank you for listening. 
Introduction to the 2004 Revised Edition In August of 2001, when I began compiling the content for this project, I was quite sure that I had discovered all of the applicable materials from relevant LDS sources, and yet, as I have continued my studies, I've found numerous additional unique and significant statements that warrant inclusion in this collection. I've added 20 pages of supplementary material that expand on prior understanding and insight. If I have one regret, it is that Hugh Nibley's final work has not yet been published because it no doubt will contain analogs and discerning information that will complement and extend our knowledge of the subject matter contained in this collection. The reader should note the tremendous influence of Hugh Nibley over this project, although vicariously, so to speak, and without his direct involvement, it is in its creation. The title of his last great work, One Eternal Round, speaks to the heart of the doctrine of eternal lives, and this revised edition is dedicated in part to the greatest scholar among the Latter-day Saints. End quote the editor, July 2004. Forward. Treasure up these things in your hearts and let the, the solemnity of eternity rest upon your minds. D&C 4334. Canst thou read this without rejoicing and lifting up thy heart for gladness? DNC 1939. Who are we? Why are we here? What is our identity? These are the profound questions addressed in this collection of inspired thoughts of leaders, teachers, and prophets of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints and accompanying scripture. These writings reveal our probationary experiences as the path of becoming, which path does not end at death, nor with the assignment to a a particular post-mortal glory, but continues as we progress from one degree to another. In In what should point the thoughtful mind to serious consideration, This continual progression is considered as taking place in the context of our own earth. The ideas here are not new. However, they temper temper contemporary Mormon culture interpretations imposed on our spiritual cosmology. That our eternal destiny is utterly dependent on our succession in this one probationary experience and that failure to successfully overcome our trials in this lifetime suggests an eternal and fatal deficiency of spiritual character. What light is shed by this collection? We and all men and women are expanding, experiencing the deity within us Brigham Young, page 45. That will motivate us to go forever in grace and truth. Indeed, we are conducted along this probation to other probations. Heber C. Kimball, page 48. 
And if there was a point where man in his progression could not proceed any further, the very idea would would throw a gloom over every intelligent and reflecting mind. Wilford Woodruff, page 50. I'm not sure what the quotes are, where the quotes are coming from, because Wilford Woodruff, page 50, I don't know what that means, but I'll continue on with this reading. These ideas illustrate the legitimacy of our faith in others and in God, whose plan of happiness demonstrates such faith in us. Our patient is likewise justified as we allow other others around us to experience God's plan of happiness and his faith in them. Although we never stop teaching and encouraging, we may set aside feelings of desperation which might lead us to coerce others based on the assumption that mistakes made here may mean their place at the table in heaven will be eternally empty. As we receive grace for grace, and as we progress and understand, we reach to those around us and offer them encouragement and understanding. Jesus Christ performed his role for us in the salvation of this world, and he is our example. Thus, the children of men will be continually exalted and drawn up towards God through the principles of repentance, George Q. Cannon, page 57. And this is truly the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ restored in its fullness in the latter days. And that comes from L.H. July 2002. So we're on page 13 now. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. I'm going to read that again. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And there's still so many things to be revealed. God has only given us the tip of the iceberg, really. Things that are essential, things we need to know, but there's so much more to be revealed. The secret things belong unto the Lord, our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Um, I believe that God has given us, uh, given the prophets throughout time, a lot of information that they have not been able to share with us. But I believe that the reason why they haven't been able to share certain things, it's kind of like the same principle, like Nephi in the Book of Mormon was shown a bunch of stuff, but it wasn't for him to write it down because it was given to John the Revelator to write certain things down. And it's the same thing with these things that these other prophets have been given, that uh, they were able to write some of it down, but it's been kept sealed. Um, But it's for a specific prophet to bring forth in the last days at the very end, even the Davidic servant, that uh, God has revealed to that individual things which these other prophets have seen, but it is for this specific individual at the end days to reveal many truths that have been kept hidden from before the foundation of the earth. 
And that is my thought and testimony. Um, Take it for what you will. All right, continuing on. Chapter 1, The Mysteries. David, King of Israel. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalms 25:14. The Apostle Matthew. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. That's Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, and I believe that was actually Jesus that said that, not Matthew. But it's in the book of Matthew, so. Joseph Smith. I will advise all to go to, on to perfection and search deeper and deeper into the mysteries of godliness. The words of Joseph Smith, page 366. And I believe that's from Andrew E. Hatt. There was another co-author I can't remember at the time. This is from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. If we have any claim on our Heavenly Father for anything, it is for knowledge on this important subject. Could we read and comprehend all that has been written from the days of Adam on the relation of man to God and angels in the future state? We should know very little about it. Reading the experiences of others or the revelations given to them can never give us a comprehensive comprehensive view of our condition in a true relation in true relation to God knowledge of these things can only be obtained by experience the ordinances of, of God set forth for that purpose you could gaze could you gaze into heaven for five minutes you would know more than you would by reading all that has ever been written on the subject teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith I completely agree with that like just to read others' experience gives us an idea, but until you are actually taken up in the spirit and shown certain things, um, I I don't know. I, there's just so much more to having God show it to you by revelation and by vision than there is um, in reading the experiences of others. And we look through a glass darkly when we read the experience of others, but when God shows it to us, it is in clarity. Anyway, continuing on. It has always been my province to dig up hidden mysteries, new things from my from my hearers. The words of Joseph Smith, page 366. For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well as in these times, as in times of old, as well as in times of old, as in times to come. Wherefore, the course of the Lord is one eternal round. 1 Nephi chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, great is the mystery. The great and marvelous are the works of the Lord. How unsearchable are the depths of the mysteries of him. And it is impossible that man should find out all his ways, that no man knoweth of his ways, save it be revealed unto him. Wherefore, brethren, despise not the revelations of God. Jacob in the Book of Mormon, chapter 4, verse 8. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom, and behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then shall you be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. 
Doctrine and Covenants section 6 verse 7. And if thou wilt inquire, thou shalt know the mysteries which are great and marvelous before are therefore thou shalt exercise thy gift and thou shalt then thou mayest find out mysteries that thou mayest bring many to the knowledge of the truth, yea, convincing them of the error of their ways. Doctrine and Covenants section 6, verse 11. One of the grand fundamental principles of Mormonism is to receive truth, let it come from whence it may. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 313. The great things... The great things... I'm sorry, the great thing for us to know is to comprehend what God did institute before the foundation of the world. Who knows it? Had I inspiration, revelation, and lungs to communicate what my soul has contemplated in times past, there is not one soul in this congregation, but would go to their homes and shut their mouths in everlasting silence on religion till they had learned something till they had learned something. Why be so certain that you comprehend the things of God when all things with you are so uncertain? You are welcome to all the knowledge and intelligence I can impart to you. History of the Church, Volume 5, page 530 and 531. So that's pages 11 through 14 of this book and uh, I'll make more videos in the future. I'm just going to do short clips for now. <coughs> All right, we're going to continue on here. I'm just making I'm actually making videos. I'm I'm still recording the uh I'm still recording the audio portion, but the videos I'm, I'm just doing in smaller clips. So here's another screen recording, which, uh, there we go. All right, so this is page 15. <clears throat> We're starting on page 15 here. Therefore, if you will ask of me, you shall receive, and if you knock, it shall be opened unto you. Now, as you have asked, behold, I say unto you, keep my commandments and seek to bring forth and establish the cause of Zion. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom, and behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you. And then shall you be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. D&C, section 11, verses 5 through 7. And this is from the DNC section 8. Ask that you may know the mysteries of God, that you may translate and receive knowledge from all those ancient records which have been hid up, that are sacred and according to your faith shall it be done unto you. DNC section 8 verse 11. From DNC 42. If thou shalt ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation knowledge upon knowledge that thou mayest know the mysteries and peaceable things that that which bringeth joy that which bringeth life eternal okay sorry about that my wife called me in the middle of me recording so uh let's see here let's get back into this 
recording. I'm also recording page by page onto YouTube. So I'm going to post that there as well. Okay, so this is page 15. Therefore, if you ask of me, you shall receive, and if you knock, it shall be opened unto you. Now as you have asked, behold, I say unto you, keep my commandments, and seek to bring forth and establish the cause of Zion. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom. And behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then you you shall be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich." Doctrine and Covenants, section 11, verses 5 through 7. Ask that you may know the mysteries of God, and that you may translate and receive knowledge from all of those ancient records that have been hidden, hid up, that are sacred, and according to your faith it shall be done unto you. Doctrine and Covenants, section 8, verse 11. And if you... Or if thou ask, shalt ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and peaceable things, that that which bringeth joy, that that which bringeth life eternal. Doctrine and Covenants, section 42, verse 61. But unto him that keepeth my commandments... I will give the mysteries of my kingdom, and the same shall be from <clears throat> shall be in him a well of living water springing up unto everlasting life. Doctrine and Covenants section 63 verse 23. And to them will I reveal all mysteries, yea, all the hidden mysteries of my kingdom from the days of old and for ages to come. Will I make known unto them the good pleasure of my will concerning all things pertaining to my kingdom? Yea, even the wonders of eternity shall they know, and all things shall come, and things to come will I show unto them, even the things of many generations. And their wisdom shall be great, and their understanding reach to the heavens. And before them... The wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent shall be shall come to naught. For by my spirit will I enlighten them, and by my power will I make known unto them the secrets of my will, yea, even those things which I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor yet entered into the heart of man. Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verses 7 through 10. But the but great and marvelous are the works of the Lord and the the mysteries of His kingdom, which He showed unto us, which surpasseth all understanding, are in glory, and in might and in dominion, which He hath which He commanded us we should not write, while we were yet in the spirit, and all and are not lawful for men to utter. Neither is man capable to make them known, for they are only to be seen and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit, which God bestows on those who love him and purify themselves before him, to whom he grants his privilege of seeing and knowing for themselves. Doctrine and Covenants, 
section 76, verses 114 through 117. And the power and authority of the higher or Melchizedek priesthood is to hold the keys of all the spiritual blessings of the church, to have the privilege of receiving the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to have the heavens opened unto them, to commune with the general assembly and church of the firstborn, and to enjoy the communion and presence of the Father and Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verses 18 and 19. It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under a strict command that they shall not impart only according to the portion of his word, which he doth grant unto the children of men, according to the heed and diligence which they give unto him. And therefore he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word, until it is given to him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. And they that will harden their hearts, to them is given the lesser portion of the word, until they know nothing concerning his mysteries. Alma chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel, and holdeth the keys of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of, of the knowledge of God. Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verse 19. How vain and trifling have been our spirits, our conferences, our councils, our meetings, our private as well as public conversations, too low, too mean, too vulgar, vulgar, too condescending for the dignified characters of of the called and chosen of God according to the purpose of His will and before the foundation of the world. We are called to hold the keys of the mysteries of those things that have been kept hid from the foundation of the world until now. Some have tasted a little of these things, many of which are to be poured down from heaven upon the heads of babes, yea, upon the the weak, obscure, and despised ones of the earth. Therefore, we beseech of you, brethren, that you bear with those things who do not feel themselves more worthy than yourselves, while we exhort one another to, to a reformation with one and all. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 137, and also History of the Church, volume 3, page 296. So that's page 15 and a little bit into page 16. And uh, I just want to say that... I think that um, I think that when God reveals these things to people, that He does lay them under strict command to not divulge these things, unless the Spirit tells you to divulge these things. And I look at it the same way that Nephi he saw all of the things that John would write down, but it was for John to write down, not for Nephi to write down. And that the mysteries of the kingdom of God will be given to the Davidic servant in the end times so that when he comes forth, he shall divulge these things. And it's kind of the same way. Like, 
as we received them as Nephi of old, who are laid under strict command not to talk about these things, because there is one that is foreordained to speak about these things in their fullness and to be the one that reveals it at the end times. And I believe that that is the Davidic servant to come. Anyway, so I'm going to do each page individually, and we'll go on to page 16. Okay, so this is continuing on page 16. Come unto me, O ye Gentiles, and I will show unto you the greater things, the knowledge which is hid up because of unbelief. Come unto me, O ye house of Israel, and it shall be made manifest unto you how great things the Father hath hid up for you from the foundation of the world, and it hath not come unto you because of unbelief. Behold, when ye shall send, when ye shall rend the veil of unbelief, which doth cause you to remain in your awful state of wickedness and hardness of heart and blindness of mind, then shall the great and marvelous things which have been hid up from the foundation of the world from you. Yea, when ye shall call upon the Father in my name, in, in Jesus Christ's name, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then shall ye know that the Father hath remembered the covenant which he made unto your fathers, O house of Israel. And then shall my revelations, which I have caused to be written by my servant John, be unfolded in the eyes of all the people. Ether chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Hiram Smith said in the Times and Seasons, The mysteries of God are not given to all men, and unto those to whom they are given, they are placed under strict restrictions to impart only such as God will command them, and let the mysteries alone until by and by. Times and Seasons, Volume 5, page 474, and that was Hiram Smith that said that. Brigham Young stated, You often hear people desiring more of the knowledge of God, more of the wisdom of God, more of the power of God. They want more revelation to know more about the kingdom of heaven in heaven and on earth, and they wish to learn and increase. There is one principle that I wish the people would understand and lay to heart. Just as fast as you as you will prove before your God that you are worthy to receive the mysteries, if you please to call them so, of the kingdom of heaven, that you are full of confidence in God, that you will never betray a thing that God tells you, that you will never reveal to your neighbor that which ought to be revealed as quick as you prepare to, end, to be entrusted with the things of God, there is an eternity of them to bestow upon you. Instead of pleading with the Lord to bestow more upon you, plead with yourselves to have the confidence in yourselves, to have the integrity in yourselves, and to know when to speak and what to speak, what to reveal, and how to carry yourselves and walk before the Lord. And just as fast as you prove to Him that you will preserve everything secret, that ought to be, 
that you will deal out your neighbors all which you ought and no more, and learn to dispense your knowledge to your families, friends, neighbors, and brethren, the Lord will bestow upon you and give to you and bestow upon you until finally he, he will say to you, you shall never fall. Your salvation is sealed unto you. You are sealed up to eternal life and salvation through your integrity. I say this that you may learn to reveal that which you ought and to keep the rest to yourselves. By so doing, to prove to God that you are his friend, friends and will keep his secrets, the world may howl around you and plead for the secrets of the Lord which he has given to you, but they, are not to, they will not get them. When the Lord has proved his children true to what he has given into their charge and that, that they will do his bidding, he will tell such persons anything that they should know. Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, page 371 and 372. Also from Brigham Young, Man can never search out the mysteries of godliness by the wisdom and learning of this world. The Essential Brigham Young, pages 180, and that's page 16 of this book. Um... It just goes along with what I was saying before. Like God wants to give people the mysteries. But we as individuals are like Nephi. And Nephi saw many of the mysteries that John saw. But it was foreordained for John to reveal these things to others. And not Nephi's place. So Nephi didn't directly reveal them. But he delved into the book of Isaiah to try to show them forth and I believe that it is for the Davidic servant to reveal these things uh, the deeper things not these quotes but the deeper things that God has to reveal unto the children of men in the very end in the very last days okay that was chapter one of the teachings of eternal lives and that was pages um basically 1 through 16, and uh, making videos on YouTube. Uh, I made a couple of videos that were a little bit longer, and I, I read more pages than one, but I think I'm just going to be doing one page at a time for the video, and I'll try to prepare one chapter at a time for the audio recordings. Uh, to upload onto my podcast. So thank you for listening to these things. It's going to take a while to get through this book. There is 389 pages of this book. And uh, I have other things I'm reading as well. Uh, so it's going to be, a, it's going to take a little while, but we, we, we will get through it. So thank you for listening to this and uh, take care, everyone. Okay, well, we have 24 minutes left in the program, but I think I'm going to save eternal uh, teachings, the teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives, chapter two, for next week. So we'll just be done with the program for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening.
and I hope you've been learning stuff from this program, and I'm glad to do it. So, all right, well, I hope everybody has a good weekend. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye. Thank you.